Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Reconsider, part of the Agar Podcast Network, where we don't do the thinking for you. And we're doing a very special episode today because we're, I guess, I always, I don't know, I feel like, oh, I feel like Jimmy Fallon or someone being like, we've got a very special show for you today. And it's every show is a very special show, of course. <laughs> but we're doing more more new stuff right we 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 hit a pattern in the past and you notice that we've recently broken that pattern we've got a lot of good feedback for it and no this time we don't have beer um that is not the new thing we're trying the new thing we're trying is uh a kind of unified theme for the week so we are kicking off with this episode stoicism week what is stoicism week well if you're a fan of the show if you're a repeat listener or repeat reader of Reconsider, you'll know that Eric and I are both big fans of Stoic philosophy. And Stoicism is essentially an, an ancient philosophy. It kind of got its start in um, ancient Rome. And it, in a lot of ways, is uh, still very relevant today. And we both think that it's more of a practical philosophy than any other. Oh, yeah. Um, than anything else, because so much of it is built around practice and constant improvement. And in a lot of ways, when we'll get into this, it's similar to Buddhism in some ways and certain aspects of it. But the reason that we're excited to talk about Stoicism in greater depth this week is because we think that some of these ideas are highly applicable given the pandemic that we're all in. Yeah, it's it's a philosophy that's applicable all the time. One of... but. But in particular, now we have a shared global moment where we need to reflect on what is in our control, what's not in our control, and what does that mean for us in a way that many of us have not had to. Now, I think, you know, as we'll we'll learn from some of our Stoics, there are people that have always been in the kind of situation where they need to seriously examine what's in their control, what's not in their control in order to even survive, much less thrive psychologically and, and emotionally. But this is, this is a moment where almost all of us have had things that we're used to taken away from us, at least temporarily, and we've had to deal with that. And for you know Xander and myself, that meant let's turn back and double down on understanding 
how stoicism can help us and what practices should Xander and I be, you know, be taking and and what can we share with you guys about what's helping us ultimately thrive and continue to live our best lives despite these new constraints. So before we get into the meat of this episode, we just want to outline all of the content that you're going to be getting this week because we really have a lot planned for you and we're just kicking off the week with the podcast. So for starters, we have a brand new website and we haven't uh, really publicized it too much on prior episodes, but it's it's all set and ready to go and we'd love for you to check it out at reconsidermedia.com. What's new about it? We turns out Eric have 5 years of content. Know, We've been nuts. doing this for a while now. And I think a lot of folks who discovered Reconsider in that interim period just had no idea what else we've done because we really didn't organize it well on our website at all. And we finally sat down and made a big push and everything not only looks nicer and is easier to scan, but you can find it just exactly the articles or podcasts that interest you. So everything is organized more coherently by topic. And I actually had a really good conversation with uh, my friend, Anne, who you know, Eric. Yeah. And she's, she listened to one of our podcasts and it was one that was more economics oriented and she was just not really that interested in it. And I get that. And she said, you know, is there, I really want to listen to you guys more, but how can I just go and listen to, you know, something on U.S. politics? Now you can do that on our website. It's really easy. You just select the U.S. politics tag at, on the top when you click podcasts or articles and you'll be taken to it. Um, we'll also be sharing with you a Spotify playlist, which have all of our podcasts over the last several years organized by more specific topics. So our Reconsidering Russia series, we will make that available. Our Reconsidering China series, we'll make that available. Our series on economics and the gold standard and fiat currency will make that all available. And if you love the drunk episodes, so, they're all in a playlist too. Exactly. It's called the Double Plus Unsober playlist. Fans of 1984, yeah. anyone? Slavery is, so, slavery is freedom. Exactly. We've always been at war with Eurasia. Yeah. So that's, that's really exciting to us because we haven't always done as good a job as we could have at presenting all the content that we have created to you guys, and we've made a big change. So please do check out reconsidermedia.com. Sign up for the newsletter. We will be sending out a how-to guide on how to have better political conversations. They're called the Reconsider Principles and discussion strategies. <clears throat> we'll do another show on these later and we'll get into more depth, but they are essentially the sort of foundational philosophical underpinning of how Eric and I think about a lot of political issues. And a lot of them are really draw some of their inspiration from stoicism. So if you sign up for the newsletter, you'll get the principles and discussion strategies, and then we'll be sharing a lot more stoicism specific material later this week if you follow us on social media reconsider media on twitter or facebook as well as on the website we'll be publishing uh, small articles short with quotes from our different favorite stoic authors our favorite quotes and just short reflections from us on it and why they're applicable to the pandemic so lots of new content coming for you guys uh, a lot of existing content that context uh content, excuse me, that we're now making easier than ever to access. And we sure would love if you checked it out. Yeah. The easiest way for you to make sure you're up to date with what we're doing is either or both to, you know, actually go follow us on Facebook or Twitter. My preferred way of ingesting stuff that I love is email. 
So I'm an old fuddy-duddy that way. I, I don't even have a Twitter. But, so, uh, but if you subscribe to us on the website to get our email, you'll get all of our articles, all of our podcasts pushed to you. We, one of these days, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have something cool that I hope you'll want to buy and I'll let you know about it. But the primary thing that, that, that our email list does is, is make sure that you get reconsider content in your inbox this week. It's going to be a ton of great stoicism stuff every day. Uh, in the future, it's going to be everything else that we write and, you know, and, and talk about on our podcast. So it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. Now, the Stoics tend to, you know, Stoicism tends to have a bit of a bad rap because until you've read the Stoics, you know, you hear the word Stoic and the, the modern use of the word is really about someone who suppresses their emotion. Being Stoic means, you know, to a lot of people, and, and, and rightly so, they're not wrong in this, it's just how it's used in modern language, is having an even keel no matter what happens. And that's the good connotation of it. And the bad connotation of it is that you are dull and a fuddy-duddy and pretty boring because you just have this, you know, blank stare in response to no matter what happens. And of course, you know, most people who you see as stoic, you wonder what's going on inside. And stoicism, the philosophy, is less about how you present yourself to the outside and more about how is your inner state dealing with everything that's happening around you. And of course, as the Buddhists like to say, as within, so without. So your inner practice of stoicism is going to impact how you respond to the world, but it doesn't require being a boring fuddy-duddy. So maybe if, maybe we can try to sum up in a word, Xander, what is stoicism? Wow. If I were to do it in a word, well, I, I would actually probably... I'm sorry, I mean in like a say, sentence, but yeah. Oh, well, m- mindfulness, I think, is applicable. And if, if you think about the idea of mindfulness, then you start to see some of the connections between stoicism and Buddhism, yeah. but also just modern meditative practice, which just has to do with being aware of the present and being aware of um, what's in your control. I think if I were to, if you gave me a whole sentence to summarize stoicism, I would say it's a matter of being aware of what's in your control and what's not in your control. And that really is a bit of a simplification, not a simplification. It's just like knowing what's in your control is not necessarily easy. So, and I've actually had conversations with a good friend of mine. We have been reading uh, Seneca's letters slowly over the course of a couple of years and having these uh, like book conversations, like book club conversations across the country. Uh, I know, right? <laughs> but something that we keep coming back to with Seneca is how do you how do you know what's in your control? And that is a process of constant introspection and investigation and skepticism. And something that we talk about in the Reconsider Principles a lot is skepticism. So you'll see that connection there. So one sentence: being aware of what's in your control and what not, what's not. Well, I got to buy myself some time to come up with my sentence and. Uh, so thank you for doing it first. The way I <laughs> you got it. The way I think of it is this: you are going to die very soon, and you have many constraints in your life. Therefore, what will you do? So I guess that's more of a question than a sentence. But I think stoicism is the search to answer that to answer that question. So I'll say it again: you will die very soon, and there are many constraints in your life. And given those, what will you do? And that's why my favorite my favorite stoic is Marcus Aurelius. And it's it's hard to pick favorites. There are three big ones, right? There's Marcus Aurelius, the emperor, the last good emperor of Rome. Dare I say, the last great emperor of Rome. Although Diocletian was allegedly pretty cool, yeah. I've got my beef with Diocletian though. 
There's Seneca. Constantine. Yeah, Seneca the Younger, just also known as Seneca. And uh, he was so Marcus Aurelius, Emperor of Rome. Seneca before him, like 100 years before him or so, the uh, advisor to Nero and a senator before that under Caligula. And Epictetus, a slave who is a contemporary of Seneca's, although I think they did not know each other. And Epictetus was a Greek slave who lived in Italy. And uh, we're going to be talking about how all three of these guys thought about uh, this stuff. And what's so great about this trio is that they're all people from very different ways of life, right? We have the most powerful man who had ever existed up until that point, arguably, right? You could China, community empire, maybe, you know, Xerxes kind of kind of guys um, rival him. But, you know, but up, but up there, you can count them on your hand. Um, on the other end of the spectrum, you have literally a slave, literally has, does not get to decide what he does with his time at all. And, and in the middle, Seneca, who I think he's, you know, Seneca is more, he's, he's, he's more financially well off and more powerful than the average bear, but, um, but also someone who, uh, you know, who, 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 who looks a little bit more like you and me, like has a job and, you know, gets fired and stuff like that. And then is, of course, told to kill himself, which none of us living have had to deal with yet. Actually, sorry, he got told, told to kill himself twice. So maybe, maybe we have all, maybe, maybe some of us have, have been told to kill ourselves, but he actually had to do it the second time. So we have this spread of people through these different walks of life who all use Stoicism as their path to, you know, to peace and acceptance. And then to, you know, most importantly, to decision, right? So you notice when, and Xander and I talked, you know, used our sentences about stoicism. It was about making choices, right? And, you know, knowing what's in your control and what's not in your control is critical to making choices. Um, and that introspection of your own life, its briefness and its constraints also drives, you know, the whole, the whole point of both, you know, of, of, of this whole perspective is driving what are you going to do now, today? given what what you know what your lot in life is and it guided all three of these men and uh, that's what part of why we love it so much and i know a lot of people would hear oh marcus aurelius the most arguably the most powerful person in the world at the time was talking about what's outside of his control right and that's interesting to me because so many of the ideas that he talks about in his meditations are I, I don't recall if he was directly influenced by Epictetus, who directly came before him, but you, you see a lot of overlap between what an emperor says oh, yeah. and what a slave oh, says. Yeah. And they're not contemporaries, but they're close. They're close. Yeah. So, yeah. so we'll, we'll get into how each of the guy, these guys think about it. I'm, I'm wondering, Xander, do we want to start with kind of why the pandemic makes this? You know, I think it's obvious, but, but we can at least talk about it. Why the pandemic makes this? An interesting conversation, um, or do we want to start with how you and I, each individually and independently on our own, kind of fell into the Stoic circle? I think we should start with the pandemic, yeah. um, because it's got to be first and foremost on everyone's mind right now. Right. So here's here's my take, at least. You know, of course the the pandemic has brought hardship to everyone. I think you're going to see in some of the articles that we wrote. You know, there, there is this term being thrown around, collective trauma, which we're all experiencing. There's an individual trauma, right, which is different from that collective trauma, right? We are, we are all experiencing individual trauma. We are all experiencing collective trauma. 
the individual trauma varies wildly, right? Some people have, have become very sick. Some people have lost loved ones. Some people have lost their financial means. Some people have lost businesses. And everyone has kind of lost the ability to do a lot of the things that they, they want to do or, or love to do. The future looks bleaker than we thought it did in terms of, you know, in, in terms of our human thriving and our economic thriving. And so we, we, you know, we have this moment that we've got to face where we go, oh, I had all these plans. I wanted to do all this stuff. And I presumably wanted to do all this stuff to make myself happy or to accomplish something I cared about. And that is now severely curtailed, at least temporarily, if not permanently, right? If not, I have to make a permanent change to what I'm going to do with my life and who I can do it with. And do I have the means to do it? And that shock of so much being taken away from people so quickly leads to a lot, you know, is, is a trigger for a lot of pain. And it also, this moment, so, so one, we're dealing with this pain, and two, we're dealing with the situation where we're still alive, right? Everyone listening is still alive, and a lot of our plans have gone out the window, so now what? And we have to face this question of now what? And I don't just mean now what in the future, like now what post-COVID, I mean now, now what? Right now. Right now what? What will we do in this time? Because we will die soon. We will all die soon, and uh, I, one of one of the uh, I, I don't have the quote in front of me, but it's I believe it's Marcus Aurelius' quote where he talks about every day your your life is like a book, and every I got it. Oh, okay, great. That's one of my favorite quotes in meditation. Pull it up. And but when you say we're all going to die soon, you're not talking about from COVID. Right. You're talking about it's inevitable we all die. Exactly. Right. Yes. I, everyone um, uh, at any given point, everyone, no matter the situation, will die soon. Now, um, I'll read this quote for you, but just as a quick sort of follow on to that, the inevitability of death as a part of life is something that's really central to a lot of Stoic philosophy. There is just this great uncertainty of when and how it's going to come. And so Stoicism deals fundamentally with how to cope with uncertainty. And we have just very rapidly been introduced to a lot more uncertainty than a lot of modern people not all modern humans, but a lot of us are used to dealing with, and something that is very different today than in the in the in the ancient world mm. is arguably back then they were a lot more familiar with death and suffering on a day to day basis. They didn't have modern medicine. Plagues happened a lot more often, and they were far more deadly than COVID. And we have an episode. We just did a an episode called Drunkenomics, where we talk about the impact of plagues, prior plagues on his in, on societies in the past. So people had to find a way to cope with the constant war and the constant death and the short, hard lives that people, many more people lived as a percentage of the total population than they do today. So that said, from book three of Marcus Aurelius's Meditations, the daily wearing away of life with this ever-shrinking remainder is not the only thing we have to consider. For even if a man's years be prolonged, we must still take into account that it is doubtful whether his mind will continue to retain its capacity for the understanding of business or for the contemplative effort needed to apprehend things divine and human. The onset of senility may involve no loss of respiratory or alimentary powers or of sensations, impulses, and so forth. Nevertheless, the ability to make full use of his faculties to assess correctly the demands of duty 
to coordinate all the diverse problems that arise, to judge if the time has come to end his days on earth, or to make any other of the decisions that require the exercise of a practice intellect, is already on the decline. We must press on then in haste, not simply because every hour brings us nearer to death, but because even before then, our powers of perception and comprehension will begin to deteriorate. And just a quick context thing here, when he mentions if the time has come to end his days on earth, the uh, Romans were really big on suicide in, in like a cultural way that I don't really support and we're not. So that's what he's referencing there. Yeah. And the, so thank you for grabbing the quote. The reason I love it so much right now is I feel like for a lot of people, the coronavirus quarantine feels like a pause. Right. I'll get back to life later. I'll get back to, you know, get back to doing something that matters to me when it's over. And every single, you know, even if you've got 60 years left, right, you're a young, healthy person and you'll probably live a really long time. Each one of those days that you wait to live is passing you by and you will not get it back. You will not get it back. Um, Marcus Aurelius also says, quote, do not act as if you were going to live 10,000 years. Death hangs over you. While you live, while it is in your power, be good. And we have that opportunity today, even in the pandemic, in the coronavirus, within the constraints that we have, knowing what's in our control and what's out of our control, to choose how we're going to live today and what we will do today to better ourselves and to better what we value most. And Stoicism doesn't actually, you know, some might call this a gap, doesn't actually tell you what you should value, like what is important, right? Is it the, you know, utilitarianism says it's, it's the cessation of physical suffering or, uh, you know, there are certain philosophies like Buddhism that say the, the, uh, the most important thing is the cessation of all suffering, right? Uh, through, through, a, uh, through an enlightenment, you know, through a mass enlightenment, which is, again, very similar to Stoicism, but Stoicism is a little less about telling people what they're supposed to do. It's less, oh gosh, uh, prescriptive uh, in that sense, in that, it, in that it thinks it has the answers to how you should live your life, but it presses you to, again, that's just why we love it. It's more of a, it's more of a practical guide to, to remind you that in this moment that you should use the faculties that nature or God has provided you uh, in, in order to do good, whatever that is to you. I think, and maybe you disagree with this, but certainly with, with Seneca more than Aurelius and Epictetus, I feel like he is a touch more prescriptive. Like, for example, he talks repeatedly throughout his letters about don't follow the crowd. Don't let the crowd guide your decisions and guide how you set goals and what you think is valuable because you'll be misled. And that's maybe, I guess that's not that prescriptive. Yeah. He, he's basically advocating to do your own thinking. Exactly. And sounds a lot like point, us, doesn't it? It kind of does. <laughs> what when you say Eric think about how to live, how to be good, so much of the work in stoicism that the authors suggest you do is figure out what good is. And there's no shortcut for that. There is no shortcut to figuring out how to live uh, a virtuous life. And I I I I find lots of things to to quibble about in Seneca in terms of what's virtuous or not. And that's part of the appeal of the philosophy to me is that it really is about thinking critically and focusing on, again, what you can do about it. Because look, we're all going to die. We might get COVID, unfortunately. I think we should do everything we can to limit 
the the spread of the disease, but 100,000 Americans have died from COVID already. More people are probably going to die. And even if you don't, and even if you live a long life, you're going to die. So the fear of death, the Stokes would argue, is doing you more harm than death will actually cause you. Because once it happens, you're gone. And the lead up to that might be painful, but you can't avoid that. What you can do is control how you act right now and how you live your life. Um, so there's, there's um, a line from a Guardian article on Stoicism that we're going to be sharing this week if you subscribe to the newsletter or follow us on, on social media, where a sort of common slogan that uh, Donald Rob- Robertson, who's the author, says ties a lot of the Stoic philosophy together is fear does us more harm than the things of which we're afraid. Kind of, it sounds a little, little bit like Kennedy, right? I mean, FDR. fear, fear itself. Yeah. And if we can get past the fact that we are definitely going to die and there is inevitably going to be suffering and uncertainty in our life. And that a lot of that is not in our control. The best we can do is, can, is, is, shape our actions based on what is in our control. That to me is really the essence of the philosophy. Yeah. And I, I dare say, I think like, you know, to get past our own death is something that, that it, it, that is hard in and of itself. Right. So it's not like, Oh, I read a book. Now I'm, now I'm accepting that I'm dying. The, the most important part of what stoicism is pointing out here is that, is that by, obsessing over or angsting about the future, angsting about your death, angsting about loss that is inevitable, you fail to live with the time you have, right? Like if we think, you know, if if we think about it, like you have a certain amount of time on earth, it is a very small amount of time, whether it is 40 years or 80 years, like does not make much of a difference. You have a very small amount of time. And if you are spending your time worrying about death, spending your time worrying about loss, you're spending your time or spending your time reflecting back on what you had that is gone and focusing your mind on that, you are not focusing your mind on what you can do now. And therefore, you are actually losing out on the thing that you have, which is life now, which is opportunity now, which is your mind now. And that is the tragedy because the rest of it is the rest of it is going to happen. What's gone is gone. What's coming is coming. Death is part of that. The only thing that you can do in that is you say, okay, given all that, I have this moment now and I can either use it or not use it. And if you spend that time with your mind in the future or in the past, then you lose the only thing that you actually have, which is that moment. Seneca says, quote, the greatest obstacle to living is expectancy which hangs upon tomorrow and loses today, you are arranging what lies in fortune's control and abandoning what lies in yours. What are you looking at? To what goal are you straining? The whole future lies in uncertainty. Live immediately. And so what he's saying is, if your mind is in the future, or your mind is in the, you know, I'm adding, if your mind is in the past, then you give up the thing that you have, which is today, and the choices that you can make today. I really think uncertainty is at the core of Stoicism and the thing that ties it together with a lot of the Buddha's philosophy. And I want to read another quote from Epictetus, who, recall, it was the Greek slave. And he said, it's not what happens to you, but how you react to it that matters. And a lot of 
modern mindfulness meditative practices, as well as certain aspects of Buddhism, will say it's not the fear or the anger or the sadness that's crippling you. It's the reaction to the fear or anger or sadness that you have, because those emotions are inevitable in life. Right. We all go through periods of extreme tragedy, maybe some people more than others, but you know, extreme sadness, you know, hot anger, all of these things happen to us at some point. But how we react to it is in our control to a certain degree, right? We can choose to throw something across the room or we can choose to sit there and say to ourselves, man, I'm, I'm really angry right now. There's a reason why I'm angry. And uh, what am I trying to say here? So in, in Buddhism, then a lot of the times, you know, much of the meditative practice is focused on what you're feeling in the moment. Yeah. So there are some meditation practices um, where the the pretty much all or a lot of meditation is focusing on something it is directing all of your concentration and attention towards something and one thing that you can focus on are the emotions that are arising within you as the time passes and being extremely aware of what those emotions are and not rejecting them not ignoring them not running from them but being aware that they're there and that's just it is in my mind, a very stoic practice because is that that's where the tie-in comes from because you can't avoid those emotions, right. but you can deter, or you can influence and decide how you react to them, and therefore, you know what how how you are out there in the world based on your internal state. Yes, yeah, you cannot fight what is, right? If something is, you cannot fight it. Now, in the future, you may change it, but you cannot fight it now. So if you are angry now, you are angry now. If you are sad now, you are sad now. And it is, in fact, the fighting of it, you know, the fighting sadness or anger that prolongs it. That, that all that does is layer on more bad. Whereas if you, if you are able to accept, I am sad now, then, okay, I am sad now. So what will I do? I am angry now. So what will I do? And the same goes for loss, right? So you know, in addition to the introduction of something unpleasant, there's also the removal of something pleasant or beautiful or wonderful. A, a, a quote I love from Epictetus is, uh, there is, oh, wait, no, it's not that one. Ah, yes. Any person capable of angering you becomes your master. He can anger you only when you permit yourself to be disturbed by him. And how can we, you know, how, how, how can we really embrace that, that notion? Because I think we know it's true. But and yet others still make us angry. And it's because at a given moment, we're reflecting on what we had a moment ago. Right. So if someone is to take something from us, actually, you know, it's 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 a little like Jesus's quote. If someone uh, takes your your coat, give him your shirt as well or something like that. And the idea is, you know, if someone takes something from you or someone insults you or someone does you an injury, there's another quote here. And let me find it. Ah, yes or Marcus Aurelius, reject your sense of injury and the injury itself disappears. Why is that? Because whatever the injury, again, whether it's an insult or, or something physical done to you, what it means is that at this moment, you have what you have, right? But if something is stolen from you, you have what you have. If, and, and what you have now, it just doesn't matter what you had a moment ago, right? The only reason for the anger is we're comparing what we have now to what we had a moment ago. 
or we're comparing ourselves now to learning that someone has slighted us, um, you know. And so we, we a moment ago thought that nobody had slighted us. And now we, we know that someone had slighted us. And it is that comparison between what we have at this moment and what we had in the past that causes us pain. And that pain distracts us from doing what we can. So in an extreme case, someone stole my car. Well, it is inconvenient not to have a car, right? Now, perhaps I can take action to try to get the car back. But if I cannot, let's say they stole it and drove it off a cliff, right? Then I do not have a car. And we can acknowledge we are, it is inconvenient and frustrating not to have a car. But it is not the fact that someone stole my car that, that does me injury. It is inconvenient not to have a car. And if I had never had the car in the first place, it is no more or less inconvenient not to have the car. The right action may be to go acquire another car, which may be difficult. You may have to make difficult choices there. But it is not the loss of the car that matters. All that matters right now is that you do or do not have this asset, and that is or is not a constraint on what you can do. And if you're able to recognize that the pain that you feel, the frustration you feel, is from comparing this moment to the previous one, and if you're able to let go of that, then the clouds around your judgment will cease. So we, the, to tie this back to the pandemic a bit, I used to be free to go to a restaurant. I used to be able to go to this concert. I had planned to, I'd actually planned to be in Hawaii literally right now. And I can't, right? I had to let that go. I had planned to go to these cool festivals this summer. I cannot. I will not go to these festivals. The pain would be from comparing what I have now, which is a certain set of options, to what I thought I was going to have. I had thought I had the option to be in Hawaii. I had, you know, I believed that I would be able to go to these festivals. I believed that I'd be able to, you know, explore new restaurants in the Bay Area, to which I moved recently, and it would not cause me pain if I did not compare what I have with what I assumed I would have, right? I have what I have. And the fact that I don't have it, again, doesn't cause me pain. The fact that I, if I dwell on thinking that I would have had it, that would cause me pain. And now that I don't have that pain of saying, oh, I wish I was in Hawaii. I wish I was going to this festival. I wish I could be at a restaurant. I can just say, okay, what are my options now? And what can I do with my time? Right. And, and some people are thriving at that. Right. It's why bread influencers are doing so well. Because people are going, what can I do now? I can bake bread. I can learn something. I can teach myself a skill. I can create something beautiful. I can craft something of which I am proud. Or, you know, Xander and Eric, what can we do with our time? We could write a lot of articles about stoicism. It's not like our, you know, our social <laughs> calendar is freed up. Yeah. This idea of how to manage loss is really central to stoicism. And again, relevant in Buddhism that talks a lot about, you know, if you feel upset that you lost something, remember that you never really had it. It was just lent to you temporarily by the uncertainty of fortune and time. And the Stoics talk a lot about fortune and how, we, you know, there's so much that's not in our control. And if we lose something, you know, we could get upset about that. For example, Seneca talks a lot about why you should not pursue wealth for the sake of wealth and for the sake of social stature, because you could lose that all and then you will be poor, um, both in terms of wealth and you will spend all this time worrying about how other people think about you and that will all be gone and the time will be lost. Or you could spend that time thinking about you know, how you manage your internal state, how you know, 
I have nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with acquiring wealth, but focusing on how you improve yourself. Compare yourself to yourself. Don't compare yourself to other people. And over time, no matter what, you'll make progress. And I'm glad that you brought up the the point about you know driving and other people being your masters because I really think that's one of the most practical parts of Stoicism that I really try to practice a lot. And when I say I try to practice, I don't claim to be an expert at it, right? But this idea of getting angry at someone else is essentially letting someone else control how you feel. And if you think about it that way, that can change, you know, for example, let's say I'm driving and someone cuts me off or someone's tailgating me, which I really don't like. And it, there's nothing I can do. It's frustrating, right? This person is doing something that's either dangerous or, unne- in my mind, unnecessary, right? Now, Epictetus says, a person's master is someone who has the power over what he wants or does not want, either to obtain it or take it away. Whoever wants to be free, therefore, let him not want or avoid anything that is up to others. Otherwise, he will necessarily be a slave. So whenever that happens to me, when I'm out in the public and I'm interacting with people I know or strangers or someone cuts me off in traffic, I get angry. And then I think to myself, am I really going to let this stranger who I don't know have that level of control over me, how I feel and how I go about the rest of my day. That doesn't seem to make a lot of sense to me. And that is one area of stoicism that I am always trying to practice is to, you know, get angry, feel it because you can't avoid it because emotions are inevitable, but don't let someone else control you for the rest of the day just based on some interaction. Yeah. I I actually remember a it's ran, you know, rando anonymous tweet. It's not, an, not anonymous, but I'll met, I forget who the author is. That goes, you had a bad day? No, you had a bad five minutes. You chose to make it a bad day, right? You had a bad thing happen to you, but you chose to make it a bad day. Seneca says, if you live in harmony with nature, you will never be poor. If you live according to what other thing, others think, you will never be rich. And this is why he's so, you know, if we tie this, if, if, we tie this back to what Xander said earlier. This is why Seneca, despite having wealth, kind of rejected the idea of pursuing wealth as a mark of social status, right? And, and it is because that social status, pursuing social status, is actively giving other people power over you that, that, that you don't need, right? If you, if you take a moment to reflect, like, do I need? these other people to approve. I mean, my God, what kind of earphones I wear, right? Whether it's AirPods or something else, right? Or what kind of car I drive, right? Whether it's a Mercedes Benz or, or my, you know, my beat to hell Chevy Sonic, right? What uh, someone else thinks of my car or my earphones to, to, you know, to, to let it have power over me is a choice. It is a silly choice to make because the car or the earphones themselves provide a certain utility to you of their own right or of their own merit, right? Is it the right car for you? Like my beat to hell Chevy Sonic, does it, is it comfortable? Do I like driving it? Like, yes, right? It's great. If someone else with a Jaguar sneers at my car, well, that's their problem. It's not my problem. Right. If someone sneers at my, I got these like, you know, black dangly, you know, wired earphones. I don't like the AirPods. Right? If someone, if someone thinks or tweets, man, this guy with his, you know, crappy earphones, what does that, what does that change about my life? It changes nothing. 
And why does that matter to us in the pandemic? It's something that the pandemic has not fundamentally changed, but it's changed where we are doing all that right now, right? Like we can't get haircuts right now and we're not outside much and people aren't looking at us in public, but people are looking at us online. And to what extent are we right now in the pandemic living our lives? And to what extent are we trying to curate an image on the internet, right? On social media that others will either like or not like. I mean, what I, what I think is so fascinating about social media is it takes these things that, you know, the Romans dealt with and it just cranks it up to 11 because it literally puts numbers on all of it, right? How many likes did you get? How many shares did you get? How many hearts did you get on your Instagram post? And how much time are you spending curating these images because you think or part of your brain thinks that the number of likes you get on those images or how other people think your life is going, like how much do you think that those things actually change how your life is going? And the real answer is they don't change how your life is going at all. Whatever pain you feel, however your relationships are going, however you're doing in pursuit of your own goals, however you feel about yourself, whatever emotions you have, right? Whatever your health is, it changes none of that. All it does to care about whether someone uh, you know, whether someone is envious of your life or likes your, your photo, right? All to care about that, all that does is it gives other people power over you to make you feel bad because it cannot actually make you feel good. The only thing that can, or, or they cannot make you feel good other than in this temporary way that you get addicted to like drugs, right? But it cannot actually make you happier and make your life better. So I think one of the greatest challenges with practicing Stoicism, and I mentioned this briefly earlier, is determining what is and is not in your control. Because, you know, I had this conversation with my friend during one of our, our book chats. I asked him, you know, if, if Epictetus, clearly it made sense for Epictetus, a slave, to realize that he doesn't control his time, he doesn't control his actions. Uh, in that way, it's very clear cut. But it's not always so clear cut. If you struggle for an extended period of time, years, in order to make something change, think about the civil rights movement. Would it have been, it clearly was in some people's control uh, as a collective effort. And if no one did anything, then we wouldn't have had mm -hmm. probably the change that resulted. So I think there is a risk when practicing stoicism to label things as outside of your control when in fact they're in your control. And the, the only risk with this is you may not accomplish some of the things that you might otherwise have accomplished. But I think the way to square that essentially is you just got to be critical. You're never going to know exactly 100% what's in and outside of your control. Um, well, you know, sometimes you do. You know that you can't control anything about COVID-19 right now. I mean, you can stay home. You can control that. You can tr control your own personal actions, but you can't put COVID back in the box. It's here. You can't control right? it. We're, we're, we're recording this on Memorial Day. You can't control whether a whole bunch of idiots are going to be packed together on the beach during the freaking you know, height of the pandemic right? and extend this whole stupid lockdown because they're being dumb. You can influence perhaps a few people to not do that. Yeah, so I think there's a bit of a risk with just assuming that all these things are outside of your control and then not doing anything. But that's clearly not what the Stoic authors are advocating because they're advocating constant work, constant, perpetual introspection, always thinking, you know, could I have 
act differently? Can I act differently now? And how can I improve myself in the future? As you look for that quote, here's the thought I have about what's in my control and what's not in my control. What is in my control is what I do about something, right? So for example, for the civil rights movement, whether or not, you know, if it was the 60s and I was of the right state of mind, right, whether or not I will succeed in my lifetime to bring about civil rights, is it not, you know, and, and this, is, this is something that, that stoicism does not, does not prescribe fully, like whether pursuing civil rights is the right thing. But let us say that I believe that it's the right, that it is so important. Is it not the, what's the thing that's in control, what's in my control? How I use my time. Right? Do I spend my time advocating for it, fighting for it, for it, protesting, writing letters, uh, you know, writing, you know, uh, sit-ins, uh, demonstrations, talking to my congressperson? Is it right to do that? Yes. Right? Should I do that? Is is it in my control to decide whether I'm going to spend my time doing that? Yes. Am I in full control of the outcome? No. Can I influence the outcome? Hopefully. Right? But the you know, but but as we know about, you know, from something like the coronavirus, something could get in the way, right? Like you're in the middle of civil rights and then boom, right? You've got like, and it looks like it's going well and everything's going great. Um, and then, you know, there's this massive crisis or economic downturn or or the, the charismatic leader dies and, you know, either that accelerates things or it decelerates things. But there are all these things that factor into the success of this whether it succeeds and when it succeeds and when it happens is not in your control, right? And if you say it's got to happen by this time, then you're setting yourself up for unnecessary pain. But I'm going to do everything I can to make this happen as soon as possible, right? To bring this about, to influence it, that is in your control. And you can make that choice and go with it. I, I, there's this great quote actually by Jesus of Nazareth, and I forget it exactly, but he essentially says, you know, as you toil in your field, do not, uh, something to the effect of like, do not worry about whether the plants will grow. The plants will tend for themselves, right? And essentially what it means is like, look, you can't, you can't decide that the plants are going to grow, right? Something could happen. You can decide whether you're going to plow your field and weed it and tend it, right? Or that you're going to tend to your garden and then the result will, will take care of itself, however it is going to be. And it's because there are things, there are influences outside of your control that impact, that factor into the outcome. You can control how you, what, what you put into it. You can control how you influence the outcome. Yeah, here's, here's not exactly the quote I wanted, but one that's relevant. Seneca says, it is stupidity to die from fear of death. And that again comes back to clearly death is not something we can control. It's coming no matter what. We can't choose to make our wife's or, uh, wife, significant other, kid live forever, right? We, it's, it's impossible. Death is a part of living. So it's, there's no point in, in fearing something that is inevitable that you can't control. And I think what the pandemic has done rapidly to so many people, it is shown how much we really are at the mercy of fate and fortune, and that things sometimes happen that are extremely uncertain, that were not expected, and that create so much more uncertainty in our lives. And really, the human condition has always been this way. And our, arguably, the last 70 years 
uh, that's been less the case. We've been bringing a lot of people out of poverty. Major international wars have not disappeared, but declined. Um, well, let me say, major na- international wars have disappeared. International wars have persisted in certain parts of the world. But we're never going to be in a world without disease and illness and aging. And this pandemic has really made it clear to everyone that, you know, we are in fact living in an uncertain world and it oftentimes can affect us more directly than we think it can. And it's shocking. So how do we manage that uncertainty? How do we go on with our da- in our daily lives and continue to be the best people we can be, both for our own sake and for the sake of people near us? And... Yeah, the yeah. the ultimate letting go is this idea, you know, imagine what your brain is sometimes doing, which it goes, when I finally have this, this house, you know, and maybe a vacation house, and I have this certain car, and I have a certain following on Instagram, and, you know, I have all these things, then I'll finally be happy, and I have to hold on to all of them, right? Only, you know, and so, so I must have all these things to finally be happy, I must accomplish, I must become all these things to finally be happy and finally be at peace with life and they must persist, right? I must hang on to, you know, I must, I must maintain this wealth. I must maintain my youth and vigor. I must maintain my strength, my health. I must maintain, you know, I, I must maintain my opportunities and freedom. I must maintain all these relationships in my life, right? I must maintain my romantic relationship and, and the people in my life, they cannot die. And all those things must be true for me to be happy. And it's not even that it's probabilistically unlikely that these things will be happy. It's that two things are true. One, they will not persist. They are all gone. Everything's doomed. Everything's doomed, right? It's all going to go at some point. And maybe before you, maybe not. You know, maybe you get hit by a bus and it's just real sudden and you don't have to experience the loss of certain stuff. But but it will all be gone at some point. So saying my happiness depends on the persistence of these things is insane. And then the other thing is they don't actually make you happy. They're not the things that give that make your inner state thrive, right? People were happy. Like there were happy people in in the ancient world. Right? They were happy before there were there were iPhones. People were happy before there were any cars, much less jack wagons, right? And you need, you know, you know, all these things, they make life more convenient. They give you more options to pursue things. But the idea that any of them will make you happy, the idea that vacationing to Hawaii is the thing you need to make you happy, right? There were people that were happy before they vacationed to Hawaii, that anyone could vacation to Hawaii other than the people who lived there, right? And so the idea that these are the things that make you happy is the fallacy itself. It is, you know, the Stoics often talk of gratitude for what we have, right? And this is and and this is maybe the middle part to we keep talking about what is my situation, what are my conditions, what do I have, what are my constraints, and what shall I do? The middle part of that is what do I have and how do I be grateful for what I have? Right. Um, how do I and this is I'm gonna go back to the Seneca quote. It is not the man who has little, but the man who craves more. That is poor. Right. So people can have a very small amount of stuff and be happy. I remember a friend of mine um, at a consulting firm talking about he believes happiness is a choice because the happiest days of his life were the ones where his family was so poor they couldn't afford a Christmas tree. So they cut one out of cardboard and there were no gifts on Christmas. They were just spending time, you know, they spent time together 
and you know, and they didn't have a goose and, and all this stuff. Right. And we obsess so much about like, Oh, do I get, do I get the right gift? And if I don't get the right gift, that's bad. And you know, do I have the right trees at the most, is it a sufficiently beautiful tree? And, you know, and, and we actually stress about Christmas. Like Christmas makes most people unhappy. It's crazy, <laughs> right? It's crazy. And the thing that we're doing is presumably in pursuit of happiness. We're buying people gifts. We're getting gifts for ourselves, we're making this beautiful dinner and we're on and we can have our family over and we travel and we go through all this rigmarole and we're less happy because of it. Right. If, if any, like, like this Christmas reflect. Because if anything on earth can tell you that the things in your life and the things that you're striving for and, you know, and, 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 you know, material can make you happy or is the key to being happy or that, that having certain stuff makes you happy. Christmas is the, Christmas is the, is the panacea to that, that fallacy. And it's also a great pointer to why. It is our expectations and our need to be in control and our need for things to be a certain way, right? Our unwillingness to accept things the way they are. Christmas is the perfect teacher for why that is the source of our unhappiness. That is why Christmas makes you unhappy because it does not go the way that your mind tells you it needs to. And the same is true of right now. Yeah, I want to, uh, there's, there's this great quote from Aurelius, I believe, and it's, it says, it's not. It's not events that upset us, but rather our opinions about them. And again, you're starting to notice some themes here, and there are constant themes that run through the Stoic works. Yeah. It's- yeah. So what, what I, wa- I want to repivot the conversation here, sure. Eric, because I can imagine someone who's unfamiliar with Stoicism listening to this show and saying, okay, fine, that's all well and good, but it sounds like you're just telling us to not worry about it. What about someone who has no savings, who is struggling to get by, who has to be out there on the front line? working every day, uh, exposing them to COVID more than other people. How, how can you tell them to just, you know, be okay with it all? Yeah. I don't think it's, I don't think it's about just being, it's again, it's, it's what's in your control and what's not. And, and to some extent, you know, look, it, it, sometimes you are faced with, with crappier choices. And I, th- I think like being anxious about your, your health, right. And saying, you know what, you know, maybe I'll die from this coronavirus. Maybe I won't. It's fine either way. I think that's not what we're advocating. It's, or, or what the Stoics advocate saying, what are my options and my choices here? And, and, you know, and, and you, you know, so, someone in the situation you described faces much greater constraints. They may choose you know what, I'm not going to do this. And I'm going to expose myself to financial risk because I'm not willing to expose myself to this health risk. Now, again, it's a really crappy choice. It's not one that I would wish on anyone. But when you are given that situation, how does being frustrated and anxious and feeling bad about yourself help you? How does it help you is the question. Does it improve your situation or does it make your situation worse? It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, Things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to monday.com. 
millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And while I've never been in a, in a life-critical situation like that, so maybe I can't empathize directly, Whenever I do find myself either in a precarious situation with uh, someone I care about or, you know, just a, a simple argument, I do ask myself that question that, that you just asked of our listeners, which is how does being angry right now, how does being upset at my circumstances help me? And I've actually had a conversation about this, I think with you before. And the idea is like, well, maybe being angry can spur you into action, Right. So there is benefit from that anger. And I, I do think you can use emotions consciously to improve your actions. But I think that falls within the stoic mindset, because in that case, you're not letting your emotions control you. You're being aware of your emotions and crafting your reaction to them as you see fit based on what you consider to be virtuous. And again, that requires you know, time to think about what, what virtue means. But when you... I'm going to step back and get a little a little conceptual here. I, I don't think we have as much control over our thoughts as we think we do. And if you meditate and just focus on how thoughts arise into consciousness, you do notice after a while that they're essentially random. Not entirely. You know, clearly it's based on what you were doing earlier in the day or things that you've been studying or what you've been working on. But they kind of just pop into your mind. And sometimes they fade away. Sometimes the thought appears and it triggers an emotion. And that, that's, that's the sort of introspection that I do think ties Stoicism to Buddhism with the meditation bit, because you start to become aware that even your thoughts are not always in your control, but you can choose how you react to them. And what's interesting to me, and this uh, article from Donald Robertson, which we'll you know, make available this week, kind of talks about, is how similar that idea of reframing your association with your own thoughts Sounds like cognitive behavioral therapy, which is one of the uh, one of the more empirically effective ways to manage things like depression. And I think it, it kind of had its break in the seventies. And as someone who has dealt with major depression, and I don't talk about that a whole lot. I can say that my own experience with it has been: yes, you can reframe how you react to your thoughts, and CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy has, um, there's been a lot of studies on it showing that it can actually, over the long run, have like uh, as positive effect as an antidepressant on, for, as for some, some people, right? Statistics, average. But that's basically an idea from stoicism. Right. Being aware of your thoughts, how you react to your thoughts. Can you have a different relationship with your thoughts if you can't do anything to change your circumstances? Right, right. And, and I think even... As regarding circumstance, you know, your circumstances, I, I think the issue is that like if wallowing in, you know, wallowing in, in self-pity or indulging in ongoing anxiety, like if you know people, you know, let's think about the extreme cases here. If you know people are highly anxious, right, do they take a lot of positive action? Well, no, they tend to take kind of obsessive compulsive action or no action, right? Or if you know people that wallow in self-pity, 
do they tend to fix the situation? Well, no, they tend to complain about the situation, right? It's almost like an opiate to changing your situation. It is people who look at their situation clearly, right? And I think actually you're, you're recruiting your emotions is very helpful here. So you, you get this emotion of self-pity or frustration or fear or anger or sadness, and you go, why is this? Why, why is this here? And you reflect on it and you sit with it and it may tell you some information and that's its value. Its value may be that it tells you something that is true. Is that, hmm, you know what this feels, you know, if I've been in there in relationships where I've felt this like anxiety and pain and, and frustration and guilt and, and all this stuff. And then I've uh, finally, instead of trying to mask it over, right, by like just doing all this stuff in the relationship, as I sat and thought about it and I was like, wait a minute, I'm in an abusive relationship, right? All of these emotions that I feel about this relationship, they, they've helped me see something. Right. And it was by it was by turning my mind to them and deciding I'm going to use these emotions rather than let them rule over me, because when they ruled over me, I just flailed. And I like I I was I was I thought that this person's approval was going to be the thing that made me happy. Right. That was the fallacious thinking. Whereas I turns out, you know what the Stoics say, you do not need this person's approval to make you happy. Turns out that's true. I don't have this person's approval, but I was desperate for it. And this person was withholding it from me. That was the, and, and kind of constantly putting me down. That was the abuse part. And when I recognized what was going on by stopping letting this obsession and this anxiety and this pain and this, you know, um, I had, I had guilt because I was being put down a lot and I thought like, oh, it's my fault, right? When someone's in a very abusive relationship, like a physically abusive one, you know, you see their, their hurts like, oh, did this person hit you? And they say, yeah, but it's my fault. I made them angry, right? So when you sit there and you realize like, wait a minute, I'm feeling a lot of guilt in this relationship. That's wrong. That's not what romantic relationships should have. Then you realize you might be in a situation where you need to make a change. And so I think if we look back to our extreme cases here, uh, and, and in this case, you know, it's someone who's, who's you know, deep in, in financial distress and, and they have to work and they're putting themselves at risk by, by the coronavirus, the emotions they feel in reaction to that can help them see something that they may be able to do in order to improve their situation, or they might find that they can't. And the only option, you know, they're, they have a choice then about their inner state. Are they going to feel, are they going to wallow in all this pain? Or are they not? And the, 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 about the, so, that, so I have a personal example of a time where I changed my situation by getting more stoic about it. Um, and I've got a situation where I may not be able to change, where I've had this, this like really crippling back injury for the past eight years. You know, Xander, you know about it. I tore a disc very, very severely. Oh. And on and off, it, it's caused me all kind of pain. And um, every now and then I'm on my back for a couple of days and then I'm on, I'm in a wheelchair for days and then I'm on like kind of polio style crutches for a couple of weeks. And it's not a day goes by that it doesn't hurt quite a bit. And, uh, you know, I've seen all sorts of doctors and done all sorts of stuff and it's not getting better. And maybe it still can. But, you know, and there was a time I, I wallowed in self-pity and I, I, you know, and it still hits me sometimes where I, I have lost the ability to do so much that I used to love. And I've lost a lot of my vigor and strength. I used to be this like this like very powerful, physically powerful person, and I'm not anymore. And I had to choose at some point whether I was just going to keep feeling bad about it or whether I was going to accept it. So I'm in pain, you know, as I'm talking to you right now, today's actually a really bad day for it. Um, so I'm having trouble walking. I can't walk straight. 
and I think it was just, you know, trying to, trying to work out. I, I did something to it. So I have to take a break and, you know, and, and I think we, this is a great example of where we have to think to ourselves, is there any approach other than the stoic approach that can make my situation better, that can help me, my inner, my inner situation or my outer situation better? And I think what I love about the stoic approach is Marcus Aurelius actually sums up the power of the stoic approach in a word. And he says, bad luck born nobly becomes good luck. And the reason is I've, bear, you know, I've tried to bear this injury nobly, and it's allowed me to become a much more, much more thoughtful, much more patient, much more compassionate person, much more empathetic person. And it's, it's one that's made me smarter about when I am flailing and raging against what is true and fighting what, what is at this moment versus when I am thinking methodically about how to improve the situation. And that has helped me in my business pursuits. It's helped me in my relationships. Uh, it's helped me just in my own, you know, my own journey towards being a more peaceful, happy person. And so that is how I've made it good luck, or at least tried. Right. And uh, I think the example of chronic pain that you personally experience is a great one because the alternative to your approach is essentially letting your emotional pain stack on top of your physical pain right. and then and then it's just more pain and you feel bad you know because you have the emotional pain and the physical pain and it becomes this downward cycle a downward cycle of like negative emotions right and i know certainly when i was depressed that's kind of what it's like you feel bad but then you feel bad about feeling bad and then you feel bad about feeling bad about and it kind of yeah. it goes on forever and cognitive behavioral therapy, which in a lot of ways kind of draws inspiration from philosophy, basically says, look, if you want to get better at managing your thoughts, it actually takes work. And for, you know, there's workbooks. You sit down and kind of like write out, this is how my thoughts are, are working right now. Is this an accurate representation? And honestly, just the act of doing that, of pausing and reflecting upon the thoughts that come automatically into your mind, gives you a certain degree of separation between identifying with that thought, like feeling I am this thought, and instead feeling I am a person and this thought is occurring right now. And that degree of separation is actually extremely powerful. Mm. And in prior episodes, when we've talked about stoicism, this is how it relates to all of the stuff that we do with politics. If you can become more aware of how you're feeling in a moment, based on a reaction to someone you either agree with or disagree with, then putting, even if it's just a sliver of distance between your thought or your emotional reaction to something someone else says, lets you begin to approach that question a little bit more critically. Like Eric, you approached your challenge with your back. You could have either been extremely angry and let that dominate your thoughts, or you could have worked on moving past that to the degree where you can at least be as methodical as possible in trying to solve the problem. And unfortunately, the problem right now is living with it, right? Yeah, exactly. And I think like the this is another good example of the fallacy that you feel like you need things to be happy. So, you know, I think like I used to look at someone in a wheelchair and think, oh, how unhappy they must be, right? Or someone who was blind or otherwise disabled, how unhappy they must be, right? And it was actually like condescending bullshit. But, um, you know, I thought it was compassion at the time. And I recognized like, they might be perfectly happy, right? They might be perfect. They may, by God, be happier than me, 
And why is that? It's because they have certain constraints. And the only way that they would feel pain is by comparing themselves to something that they cannot have. So like you feel happy, you know, you feel perfectly happy walking. What if a bunch of people could fly, you know, just pick up and jump and fly around, right? You may want to fly, right? But the only reason it would suddenly, your walking would suddenly cause you pain is by comparing yourself to other people who can fly. And now all of a sudden, you know, you didn't need to fly a minute ago to be happy, but now all of a sudden you do, right? You never knew that flying was the thing that was going to make you happy, but you just found out, right? You just learned by seeing other people fly that it's that, oh, that's what I've been missing this whole time. The thing that's going to fill the hole inside of me is having what they have, right? Is having, you know, is having, uh, for me, you know, it's, it's, you know, what is it? It's, it's skiing. The thing that will fill the hole inside me is skiing, or it's being able to run or lift as much as I used to. And, and why does it hurt? Well, because I had it before and I don't have it now. And if I, you know, look, I know plenty of people who are happy that are not power lifters, right? In fact, most happy people are not power lifters. Um, right. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Uh, most happy people are not power lifters and, uh, most happy people don't fly. You know, I, Stephen Hawking considered himself one of the luckiest people who ever lived. Right. And he, I think he genuinely believed it. Right. Like, was there ever, was there ever a thought that Stephen Hawking wasn't happy? Now he was blessed with an incredible mind. Did he spend his energy thinking about what he did not have and what avenues were closed to him or did he spend his energy thinking about what he did have and what avenues were open to him and what did he do with that right he has this great quote he says i actually consider myself lucky to have this disease because it's it's freed me to focus all of my my thoughts and energy and mental faculties exclusively on physics and under better understanding the mysteries of the universe now i'm sure he went through a period mm-hmm. when when you know the disease was rolling on and he was dealing with the transition and dealing with the loss where maybe he hadn't arrived at that point yet but i believed him when i i read him when i read that quote by him yeah because of the few muscles that work his smile muscles work pretty well don't they or worked pretty well and you saw him smiling all the time he was this very happy dude who was physically a wreck um you know i think if we tie this back to the pandemic like you can be cranky that you're not doing all these things the pandemic gives you an opportunity to focus, right? Like what if it was actually not a neutral thing, but a good thing, right? Some people became great bakers. They're going to come out great bakers. Some people are going to come out strong, right? If you think about it, like people come out of prison jacked, right? Because they're like just doing pushups all the time. How many pushups are you doing today? None. Whose fault is that? Yours, right? Oh, I couldn't make it to the gym. All right, do some pushups, right? Do some, you know, you've got a chair. Do some, uh, uh, what is it? The, the. The dips, you know, do some dips. There's all sorts of stuff you can do at home. And you've probably, if you're listening to this, you've probably got YouTube. And, and so you can go look up all these, all these people that are teaching you how to work out at home, right? You come out of the pandemic out of shape. It's not the pandemic's fault, right? And that's the thing you've got to let go of is blaming something else. Like, oh, I'm out of shape because of the pandemic. No, you're not, right? I, look, Eric Fogg is out of shape. And am I out of shape because of my back injury? No, actually, because there's all sorts of things I could do. Right. I have learned those things. I've been taught those things. Am I doing them? No. Do I sometimes let it be an excuse? Yes. Um, you know, but it's but it's my choice. Uh I'm I'm also thinking about I believe Newton discovered calculus from uh while he was in quarantine because of a plague. Right. So one of the key ideas of it, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah oh yeah, the, the infinitesimal. He discovered yeah. the infinitesimal, which is key to integrals. And 
you know, and maybe someone else discovered it too, but, but he didn't know about it beforehand and it popped out of his head because of that. So how can you use this as an opportunity to focus? Right. And that's the power of stoicism is you go, okay, I have these constraints. What am I going to do now? Right. I'm in the pandemic. I can't go outside. What am I going to do now? Well, maybe I'll read a bunch of physics. Maybe I'll listen to a bunch of reconsider. Maybe I'll, you know, maybe I'll do push-ups and sit-ups like I'm in prison. Maybe I'll become a great bread maker, right? And woo, woo future partners with my killer bread, right? There's all these things that you can do. And if you focus on what you can't do, you will let life pass you by. And if you focus on what you can do, you may become like, it, you may look back and go like, you know what? The pandemic's the best thing that ever happened to me. That is an option and it's up to you. That's right. And if, if you're listening to that and thinking, how can a pandemic possibly be a good thing? You're crazy. Well, there are always consequences that you don't anticipate. And I'm not going to say that the Black Death was a good thing. When we talked about the plague of 1348 on our uh, show two shows ago, one of the major consequences was the change in, in, in essentially labor relations between uh, owners of property, owners of land the people who worked the land. And many historians, Barbara Tuckman included, think that you, you don't have the birth of the modern world if you don't have that change in labor relations, if you don't have the Black Death. So we are in, there's no way around it. We're in a shitty moment in history. Could it be worse? Yeah, absolutely. I sure am glad I don't live in Baghdad during the siege of the Mongols, right? Right. That would be truly awful. I'm really glad I'm not my age in 1917 when I, I and you know, I'd have to go to a war. Um, I'm really grateful about that. But we can, we can face the constraints that we're given and make as positive a situation out of it as we can. And, you know, part of that for me has been, you know, I have this time, I have a lot more time than I usually have. And I often find myself in life saying, man, if only I had more time, I'd do X. Well, now I'm doing X. <laughs> I'm in the process of getting ready to go to a, you know, a master's program. It's something that's, that's a lot more quant heavy than I've generally been familiar with, but I'm learning this stuff because everything is available online right now. And if you have the time, you can learn these things. It's really, you know, we talk about calculus and calculus sounds like this big, scary, mathy thing, but it's really not. It's not magic. It's just some stuff that other people have done that, you know, if you wanted to, you could do it too. It just take a little time to learn just like anything else. You know, if you could do Sudoku, I think you could do calculus. but how we approach the situation. And I, I think one, one, of, one aspect of that, sorry, I forgot about this. And I want to say this is for people who have, you know, the fortune of having lots of time in the middle of pandemic of the pandemic and only having their plans disrupted and being, you know, faced to be at home a little bit more than they are anticipating at, that in my mind is an opportunity to be grateful because we, you know, folks like that don't have to be out every day increasing the risk of contracting the, of the disease in order to just get by day to day. And I think that gives us an opportunity from that gratitude to be a little bit more empathetic towards others, especially those who are in more difficult situations than us. So stoicism is not about suppressing your emotions. It's not about caring less about other people. It is not about pretending that these things aren't happen, happening. It's a way to be more in touch with the present moment, to make the best out of it, and in that process of making the best of it, to become a better person, right. not only for your own sake, but for the sake of other people. Because you know what? If you have a little bit more empathy towards what other folks are going towards, you're going to care a lot more about their wants and desires 
and what they have to say about things like political issues. Because all of a sudden they don't, they become not the enemy, but someone else who's stuck in this really horrible situation that fate and history has thrown upon them. And, you know, if you're not in that situation, you have the opportunity to, at the very least, reflect on what that silver lining looks like for you. Right. The, the key here is that the situation itself is not good or bad. Whether we call it good or bad is up to our minds. And so when I say, the pandemic may be the best thing that ever happens to you. Your mind may be able you, it, and and look, this may or may not happen to you, but you may go, "Oh my gosh, I have always said, if only I had time, I'd do X." And finally, you do X, and you're like, oh, right? And and you know, and as much as we talk about all these things that you need to be and become, right, are not necessary for happiness. But the happiness that you get out of that moment of realization is the one where you are living in this moment, right? And you are not letting, you know, not letting constraints cause you pain. And if we think of some extreme examples, right? Again, this is about people's individual experience, not the goodness or badness of, a, of an event as a whole for people, right? Like we start getting these value judgments of utilitarianism, which we're not interested in, but we're talking about your inner state, right? I remember watching the movie Patton. Right. And in Patton, you know, he, he has the speech in front of, Amer you know, George C. Scott has a speech of American in front of American flag at the beginning. And the speech ends speech ends this way. When you're 70 years old and you're bouncing your grandkid on your knee and that grandkid asks, granddad, what did you do in the Great War? You won't have to look at him and say, well, Timmy. I shoveled horse shit in Iowa. And, and what is this, you know, what's, what's the point of that quote? It's that, well, in, George, in, in Patton's mind, now Patton was a, a bit crazy, but, but bear with me here. In Patton's mind, war against tyranny was an opportunity, right? Like, you know, and, and for him, like, God, how could you, you know, it's, it's and, and there are people that feel this way. Like, could you imagine living in a world where things are just fine and you don't have an opportunity to, to like, Go boldly put your life on the line and suffer hardship to do what's right, right? What a tragedy, right? And, and, and there's all sorts of people that come out of, say, the Second World War that are really glad they had that opportunity, even though, look, I don't want to go to war, but if I find myself there, how will I react? How will I choose to, how will I choose to make that situation, you, know, you know, do my duty and make that situation one that I've grown from. And it's a different, you know, it would be, you know, again, if I got conscripted, suddenly we're at war with, you know, Eurasia, let's just say for, to keep it neutral, mm -hmm. which we've always been, of course. But how do I, suddenly my plans have changed a lot. Now I'd, I'd actually look, look, you, we all know, we just talked about my back. Like I wouldn't, I would not be on the front lines, but I might be an intelligence, right? a smart guy, do some analysis. And, my life will have taken a different turn than I expected. And I can let that give me pain. Like, ah, I was planning to be a world famous podcaster, right? I was going to be the greatest podcaster of all time. And I can't do that anymore. And I'd have to let that go. And, but then it's different, right? It's just different. And does that difference, you know, I now have these constraints that I did not have, but it is also you know, your mind, you can choose to see that as bad or good or neutral and say, well, maybe I'll be a great analyst. Maybe I'll, you know, how can I go be Alan Turing? 
whether or not, you know, and, and the thing to let go of, the thing that'll never help you is everyone knowing your name when you're dead. And, and the, so the Stoics are like, who cares if people know your name when you're dead? You're dead. That doesn't help you. Who cares if people clap for you? They just like people will clap for anyone. Right? They'll clap for any idiot, as I'm sure you can, you know, think of, think of your least favorite politician. Do people clap for them? Totally. Great. So like people clap for any <laughs> idiot. And, and so, so, and, and so like, is it people's approval of the work you do that matters? No. Why did Alan Turing's work matter? Like we happen to know him, which is why we can talk about him. But Alan Turing did something great for, you know, the, the war effort and for society going forward. Great. And could, would that have happened if not for the war? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But the war made Patton and Churchill and Turing and uh, I don't know their names, but if we think of the hidden, you know, the, the women of hidden figures um, and what they did for women's rights and the civil rights movement by being, you know, human computers uh, and, and great, you know, great mathematicians for the war, all that stuff. And so the point is we can take these extreme examples and say, and, and the, the outcome does not necessarily need to be bad, but had these people had Patton and Churchill and the women of hidden figures and Turing said, Oh, there's a war. Woe is me. I had all these plans and my mind is focused on all these things I wanted to do and not what can I do, then they would have never become who they became. Yeah, I'm glad you brought the example of war generally up because it's something that's become a talking point for me throughout the entire pandemic. Well, not throughout the entire pandemic, but more recently as there has become opposition to wearing masks in public and just kind of ignoring the basic social distancing guidelines has been, that is very much a perspective of loss. I lost something. I can no longer do what I want to do. And in a way, I'm going to rebel against reality and pretend that, you know, we're not where we are by just doing the stuff that I used to do because I want to feel like I didn't lose the things that I lost. Mm. And that to me is insanity because we know that (laughs) diseases spread when people are close to each other and, you know, masks keep things from flying towards other people. Like it's just basic, basic stuff here. And rather than thinking I lost something, I'm upset, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, you know, do this whole mask thing and I'm just going to go to a bar, whatever. I'm just going to, this, this isn't a big deal. People die and we can talk about the stats. It's not just people die. Or you could look at that exact same situation and say, yeah, you know what? We're in a historical event right now and there's no avoiding that. It is a once in a hundred year pandemic and this is something that history will remember. Now, I sure am glad that the sacrifice that I have to make for the good of society, for other people who I feel empathy towards, is the minor inconvenience of wearing a mask and being a little further away from other people instead of having to go fight in, you know, muddy trenches and, you know, experience these really, really awful extremes of human experience in war. I am grateful that the historical event that I find myself in today only requires a sacrifice of social distancing and masks and not a year in war in Europe or somewhere else. So at some point we need to let you guys go. I mean, we could, we've, we've gotten a little ranty as well. Um, so we started off with, you know, kind of what did the Stoics say about this? I think, I think the reason we got so firm is that I, it was, as I love Buddhism too. There was this, uh, there was this great, there was this great Zen master named Renzai 
who would grab people and shake them and scream, where are you? Where are you? And what he's screaming to is the Buddha inside this, you know, sense of consciousness of yourself inside who knows, you know, who knows already that they are free and enlightened. And when, you know, if we are firm, it is to break through some of the muck that builds up in the mind that goes like, what about this? What about that? Like, you know, I, I, I'm not, you know, like I, the circumstances don't let me be free to choose. Circumstances don't let me be stoic. I have to wallow. I have to be, I have to feel crappy. I have to do nothing. Right. And if we raise our intensity is to help break through some of that and, and break through the excuses that we make the excuses to live, right? There are the excuses to the excuses we make that say, I don't have to live. I don't have to choose. I don't have to be, I don't have to go do good. I don't have to grow right now. It's not my fault. Let's break through those excuses. That is what we hope we can do in this. So, uh, but maybe we should let our listeners go in a minute. Here. We'll let our listeners go. Um, if, if there's one thing that I hope you've taken from this episode is that, uh, you know, we're, this is our attempt at trying to take the stoic approach to the pandemic and spin things a little bit more positively. And we sure would be interested to hear what y'all think about it. So do reach out to us. You can reach us at hello at reconsidermedia.com. That's a new email address or just Eric at reconsidermedia and Xander at reconsidermedia. If this is, if you have found this show interesting and you want to know more about how philosophically we think stoicism applies to modern politics and political conversation, do sign up for a newsletter because we'll be sharing the Reconsider principles and discussion strategies with you. If you do, you can sign up on our website, reconsidermedia.com, and just hit the sign up button on the top menu bar. We'll also be sharing a lot of our stoic quotes throughout the week at Reconsider Media on Twitter and Facebook. We also created a new Facebook group, which we should have done a while ago, which is different than a Facebook page because it's it's for discussion and not just sharing stuff. So we created this Facebook group because we like talking with you all and mm-hmm. we want to hear what you think. So please do join and let us know what you think. And with that, I guess yeah. I'll say, don't let the pundits do the thinking for you. Pause and reconsider. Xander signing off. And maybe I'll add, you know, don't let don't let your own don't let the worst version of yourself. Don't let the like kind of whiny, cranky victim brain, you know, part of your mind, which we all have. Don't let that do the thinking for you either. Uh, get a little stoic, pause, and reconsider. And this is Eric signing off. We will talk to y'all soon. Stay safe out there. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.